Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's been a record-breaking day at the Men's Cricket World Cup. Fastest century, largest margin of victory, most expensive bowling figures, most expensive World Cup over, maybe even the most amount of praise ever given to David Warner on a Top Order Podcast episode. We'll have all of that and more coming up right after this. Okay, Baldy, going into this game, you said to me you had concerns over Australia's middle order. You were worried about Steve Smith's form and Australia's ability to pace their innings. Passive observers are going to look at this game and, and the scorecard and go, oh, yeah, it's only the Netherlands. But I think that does a massive disservice to, to both teams, actually, in this match. An emphatic win for Australia, a massive boost to their run rate. It's a result that suggests that they're right back in the, in the mix of this World Cup. I think that's my monologue. I think I'm going to step back from the microphone and just let you take it now. Huge win for Australia. Morning, team. Yes, the coffee glass is half full this morning. And, you know, look, Australia have taken care of business against the Netherlands. Uh, they've done, look, just about a 9 out of 10 job. They've, they've done really, really well. Uh, all the things that we had hoped or I had hoped that Australia would tick off against the Netherlands, they've ticked off um, and then some more. Um, and they and they started it by winning the toss and making what I think is an excellent decision in this World Cup to bat first. Yeah, look, I mean, absolutely uh, batting first. And, and I mean, that's a, g- a good place to start. David Warner, I mean, he goes into this innings now off the back of 100 against Pakistan, goes in, scores another 100. I mean, I said it up top, we're, we're not usually quick to throw out the praise to David Warner, but Binksy. I'll give you the opportunity to come in and talk about what innings this was. I mean, 50 off 40 balls, 100 off 91 balls, four consecutive fours off Ayan Dutt. What did you most enjoy about about David Warner? That celebration, you always love that. Oh, look, credit where credit's due. Um, I thought his innings, um, he was dropped early on, wasn't he, against Pakistan? Um, and then obviously went on to get a really, really big 100. And I think, you know, backing it up is the thing that's most impressive about this. Um, yeah, I think easy potentially to, you know, subconsciously take your foot off the gas in a game against um, one of the, you know, one of the, the minnows in, in the tournament. Um, but yeah, look, certainly his innings set the tone, um, you know, they lost an early wicket, didn't they? So, you know, the Netherlands, you know, got into the game um, early on. But then, yeah, from, from then on, it really was pretty much plain sailing for um, for the Aussies. I, I, I guess um, the role of Van der Merv catch um, throughout the course of that, that innings, um, look, I, I'm not debating that, you know, it, it's, it's not out. Um, but I think that we've seen a, a real seed change in the way that that's been adjudged over the course of the last sort of six to 12 months in, in world cricket. So a little bit of a talking point um, there. And then I think the, the other question I've really got for Baldy is just that, you know, the, the balance of that Australian side. Travis Heads um, reportedly now fit and, and available for selection. Um, it, very, very difficult to, you know, to move Mitch Marsh, I would have thought, from the from the top of the order and, and clearly David Warner from the top of the order. Um it looks a little bit congested in that middle order with with Smith and Labashane for um, for Australia. So that that would be my only you know my only question is when everybody returns to fitness and you know it's quite likely Australia are going to have a must win game at, at some point. Um, the way the table looks at the moment, um, I, I just yeah it just looks a bit of a weird batting lineup with you know Maxwell at seven, Cameron Green at eight, Pat Cummins at nine who can bat, Mitchell Stark at ten who can bat. Uh, Zampa's really your only genuine um, 
you know, guy who doesn't know which end of the bat to hold in, in that lineup. So be interested, yeah, to see whether or not Bordy thinks there'd be any changes for for uh, for Australia as the tournament progresses. But yeah, credit to David Warner and uh, and Glenn Maxwell. Um, you've seen the meme. He often goes missing when you most need him. Um, I, I guess still some question marks around. Um, you know his his performance in a, in a game where they're probably going to get across the line without that fantastic hundred from from him as well. So there you go, Bordy. I've given you I've given you your half empty cup. There you well well thank you for that. I'll I'll refill my cup with with some good news from the Australian middle order for a change. Um, Stephen Smith and Manus Labuschagne were points of concern going into this match against the Netherlands. Stephen Smith. I don't think he'd got past thirty or forty in this World Cup. Certainly, he's had a bit of a struggle so far. Marnus's problem was really around strike rate. So the thing that was very, very pleasing for me is that having lost an early wicket, Australia were able to maintain a little bit of momentum. They didn't try and go too hard at, at, at the Netherlands in the first 10 overs. I think they were 60 or 70 after 10. So they had plenty of momentum going their way uh, to be able to build a partnership. And as it was, Smith and Warner put on 130 for the second wicket, which is a fantastic performance to get them to two for 160 in the 23rd, 24th over when Steve Smith was dismissed. What I really like about that is, A, that Steve Smith got a bunch of runs, which is great for his confidence, but then Manus came in and got on with it. So the criticism of Manus has so far been that his strike rate in this World Cup has been in somewhere in the you know high 60s, low 70s. But here... He got on with the job. He got 62 off 47, and he maintained Australia's impetus through to the 36-37th over when he was dismissed. So that was a really positive thing for Australia. Australia lose a couple of quick wickets, so Marnus goes, Inglis goes, uh, Warner goes in the 39th over, uh, and then all of a sudden we went from sort of 230 or 240 for two to 260 for five. That's where Glenn Maxwell really stood up for me. And not just because he got 106 off 40, but he was only, and I use the air quotes advisedly, only 30 off 20. And so he didn't try and, you know, Sikorsky helicopter the ball out of the park too much in his first 20 balls. He got in, he looked at the, I don't know if he looked at it, but it looked to me like he looked at the Heinrich Klaassen, David Miller kind of mold and said, okay, if I faced 20 balls, I can get 60 off the next 20. And that's exactly what he did. 30 off 20 and then 100 off 40 to, you know, near enough as makes no difference. So that was a terrific innings from him. I thought that, you know, having put the reverse ramp sweep paddle over deep third man for six away early in the innings, he got himself in. And once he's in and his hand eye is going, he can play that shot as well as anyone in world cricket, if not better. Uh, so that was the particularly pleasing thing for me, uh, other than the fact that he ran out his partner in Cam Green, but he did get Australia to three hundred for eight, uh, 400 for eight at the end of the 50 overs. And then the rest of the game was a fait accompli from there. But we'll talk about the second half in a second. That, uh, I mean, that was a pretty amazing innings from Maxwell. I know, yeah, Binks, he mentioned it before. You know, sometimes he does get criticised for going missing. But I think you you made a great point there at Ball there about how he kind of got himself in. And, and often you see Maxwell, he comes in, he did it the other day, didn't he? He came in and, and slogged at the first ball, hit it straight up in the air and, and got out. And this innings, yeah, he got himself in. And, you know, by the time he played that, I mean, he played a, a rev- I mean, I don't even know what you call them. They're left-handed, they're almost left-handed shots. They're not even reverses by the by the time that he's hitting them so cleanly because I was going to call it, I mean, he hit a reverse sweep, I guess it kind of is, where he's sort of almost flicking it off his legs as a left-hander. Uh, over the boundary for six. And then he plays that one that he goes to 50 with. And I mean, you could hear 
Shane Watson in the background going, oh, that's ridiculous. And and the superlatives just kept coming from there. It was, it really was an amazing innings. And the way, you know, he hits Buster Leader again, who obviously not had a great day out with the ball. Hits him, hits him for six, two more consecutive sixes, I think, to bring up his hundred. And it, yeah, it really was something special. I mean, is that the key for Maxwell Baldy? Does he just have to bat, you know, like that throughout this innings? You know, what what is it about him that I, see, I suppose frustrates Australians so much when he's got so much mm. quality and so much ability to to win games? Oh, it's the gulf between talent and performance, I think, that frustrates Australians so massively. And it's the thing that frustrated Australians about Mitchell Marsh for many years, in that there is there is this world-beating talent hidden within uh, Maxwell and, and hidden within Mitchell Marsh, but we very rarely see it. And we saw it last night. We saw how good Glenn Maxwell can be. And the formula for Glenn Maxwell uh, is a microcosm of the formula for Australia. Bat first soak up 15 or 20 balls, get yourself in. And then, you know, the ability to catch up is, is there. And it's there for most of those Australian batters. Cameron Green has it. Marcus Stoinis has it. Uh, David Warner has it. Mitchell Marsh has it. Uh, so that that's the microcosm of, of Australia's success plan. I think going forward in this world cup, as it will be for South Africa, bat first, get 350 or 400 with that batting lineup. If they fire like they did last night, okay. It remains to be seen whether they'll do it against a top class world-class bowling attack. Uh, but Australia did a really, really good job last night of getting themselves not only into this game, but into this tournament. And Binksy, uh, anything else you want to add on the Australian batting or should we move to, to the bowling? No, let's move, let's move on to the uh, the under-13 like bowling scorecard of that, that Australian uh, bowling innings. Some crazy figures in there. Yeah, well, what what impressed you most? Because I, I mean, I said it at the top. I think a lot of people are going to look at the scorecard and, and go, "Okay, it's it's the Netherlands. It's a side that everyone expected would struggle in this World Cup." But I think the Netherlands have shown so far in these games that they've played. They obviously beat South Africa. They've been very hard to beat. They were they were smart. They've been smart throughout this tournament. I mean, they they've got a lot of plans. You could see the way they opened the bowling today with two off spin bowlers against David Warner and, and tried to you know, tried to exploit some weaknesses potentially that they had. But, you know, when you get four, Australia pile 400 on the board and then go into this game, this uh, next innings, this bowling innings, it could have been easy for them to let the, let the game drift, right? But they've just gone out and they've picked up wicket after wicket and, and 90 all out is a massive boost for their net run rate, Binksy. Yeah, look, it is. And, and, and I think we're going to potentially see that net run rate conversation being very, very important for probably that final semi-final place. Hey, look, that, that bit of crystal ball, it might um, yeah, it might not transpire that way, but it, it looks as if it could be quite congested in that part of the, the table. I'd uh, be interested to get Baldi's views. I think, you know, what's most impressive for me and probably the thing that Australia will take away from this is, you know, Adam Zampa struggled a little bit for form um, in recent times. Um, luckily, you know, Baz Delida has, has taken back the worst bowling international um, one day international figures. I think Mick Lewis held it before then. Then Adam Zampa. Um, it's now back to the to, uh, or gone to the Netherlands. So an Australian doesn't have the um, the ignominy of, of holding that particular statistic. I also think getting a couple of poles out of Mitchell Marsh as well potentially helps Australia. Um, so notwithstanding, obviously, you know, the top of the the bowling card, Stark, Kaiserwood, Cummins. I don't think we've ever got any doubts about um, about their quality. But I think what will be um, very pleasing for Australia 
um, is that you know Zampa's found a little bit of uh, a little bit of form, um, and Mitchell Marsh has, has chipped in. And look, you can only really describe it as a clinical bowling performance um, uh, from, from the uh, from the Aussies. And yeah, absolutely nailing that that net run rate conversation as well. Baldy, do you want to step in? Adam Zampa, I know you enjoy a bit of leg spin. You enjoy burgling the tail. But but I think burgling the tail is maybe a bit harsh in that, uh, you know, you asked you asked for him to perform basically about three games ago. And since then, he's got four for four for three for. So he's he's definitely back in form, as Binksy mentioned. Yep, absolutely. So so some very pleasing aspects to Australia's bowling and fielding performance. Australia, by and large, took their chances in the field. They took some good catches, uh, which is particularly pleasing. The one that I really enjoyed was the, the I was going to say the Greg Inglis, the Josh Inglis catch down the leg side, the strangle. His footwork was immaculate to that, to that catch. A lot of keepers would go late and just dive across. He took two steps and was able to take the ball uh, between the legs through the, through, through the middle of the gloves there. So that was particularly pleasing from a fielding perspective. I think Inglis also kept well to Zampa. There was a, a cut shot off the back foot, a little bit of turn and bounce, and England, Inglis was able to get his hands into the right position to take that chance. So from a fielding perspective, lots to like from Australia and certainly a massive improvement from early on in the tournament where there were questions asked, mostly by me, around Australia's preparation uh, around their fielding. So that's been a, a really big improvement as far as their fielding is concerned. Three parts to the bowling, two of them Binksy mentioned, uh, that are particularly pleasing from an Australian perspective. The first one is that Mitchell Marsh, yes, came in and got a couple of wickets, particularly with the structure of Australia's all-rounders. We've got Marsh, we've got Green and or Stoinis, and we've got Maxwell in that in that uh, bowling department um, and potentially Travis Head to come back into the side as well. So being able to get wickets from the fifth bowling option is particularly pleasing. The other thing that pleased me about Australia's bowling performance is we got wickets at the top of the order for the first time in the tournament since the India game. So we had three wickets in the power play. We had four wickets when uh, Delita was dismissed by Cummins in the 11th over inside that first 10 or 11 overs. So for Australia, it's particularly pleasing that at the top of the order, uh, even though you know the Netherlands were 50 at, at 10 overs or at 11 overs, Australia had picked up regular wickets through that spell, which is particularly pleasing. And then we'll talk about Adam Zampa. Yes, he his form was a struggle early in the tournament. I think now in retrospect, it might have been a little bit of a fitness issue. He certainly looks like he's moving a little bit better in the field of late. And you know, he, for him to come in and get four wickets was particularly pleasing because he was landing his wrongen. And I think for a leggy, being able to land your wrongen consistently is a sign of a guy who's got lots of confidence. The ability to go in and try something like that. And for him to land a couple and get a couple of poles LBW with a wrong and even though it's a tail ender that's on the receiving end, and that's it being unkind probably to Rolof van der Merwe, that is a particularly pleasing outcome for me because it signals that Adam Zamper is back in a bit of form. He's willing to try some variations and he's landing them, which does the world of good for a leg spinner's confidence. Oh, yeah, he's got that, that wrong and going really, really nicely at the moment. The way he uh, he's, he's done it the last few games, especially, and... Um, you know, making batters making batters look silly at times, and um, yeah, I think that's that's huge. We'll come to Binksy shortly for to sort of look ahead to to the next couple of days because there's a, a big few games uh, up next for for England and, and some big games in this tournament. But well, there, bef- I guess before we sort of move away from this game, how are you feeling about this Australian side and the Aussie chances now? Because yeah, you mentioned it, you, you know, briefly there that. 
you know, a couple of games ago, you were quite harsh about the side. Everyone took uh, took shots, the players, the coaches. But with the passage of time, those first couple of games that Australia have lost, they're starting to look a bit better on paper. They've now dealt with three teams in a row very, very well. How, how are you all feeling? Is Australia back? Are they, are they going to uh, be a serious chance in this tournament? They can be. They've taken care of business against Sri Lanka and the Netherlands, which they needed to do. And they needed to address some serious concerns around some of the aspects of their game, which by and large they've done over the course of the last three matches. So that's all to the good as far as Australia are concerned. What remains to be seen is in their next two matches against New Zealand and England is to whether they can take that and apply those improvements to their game against sides that will really test their mettle. New Zealand will test them because New Zealand will take the game deep. They won't be overawed by the occasion. And New Zealand are probably, if not the best side, then one of the best sides in the world of pacing their chase and understanding the job that needs to be done to win a a game of ODI cricket. England are explosive. England are hurting at the moment in terms of the way that they've performed so far in this World Cup. They're going to have an opportunity to bounce back, and we'll talk about that shortly. But by the time that that game comes against Australia on on the 4th of November, England will be in a position where their World Cup is either gone and they're playing spoiler, or they're fighting for their lives and, and fighting for their chance to remain in the tournament. So Australia's performance in this World Cup really comes down to the next two games and whether or not they can apply the lessons that they've learned, the improvements that they've made, the improvements to preparation, middle-order batting and top-order bowling over the next couple of games and really test that against some quality opposition. You've done a lovely job of segueing there, Baldy. We've got uh, the, these next or this next game tonight is, uh, is England-Sri Lanka and then a really huge couple of days coming up for the World Cup with Pakistan, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand and then England, uh, India after that. So, yeah, really... Big for the tournament, but also massive for England. You mentioned it there with those. We've got those two games, and then another one with Australia. Binksy, any, I mean, add anything else you want on this game, and and then take me through sort of how you're feeling about the next few days of this tournament. Yeah, look, I think I'll use the age-old adage. Um, you know, let's not focus on the past. So that you know, this game is now gone. I think that you know that's in the win column for Australia. Um, it, it really is, of course, the next two or three days that could um, massively shape this tournament. I think realistically, we're looking for six into four, aren't we? I think ne- Netherlands, Bangladesh, um, you, you know, Afghanistan, it sounds harsh to say, but, you know, you, you'd look at the, the fixtures that they've got coming up, that they're probably not going to, you know, finish, yeah, finish in the top in the top four. Um, I think, the, you know, the benefit for Australia is they're going to have a mulligan, aren't they? Um, they've got England and New Zealand next up. Um, and they can they can afford to lose one of those games, um, even if um, you know even if England get themselves back into uh, back into the tournament with a win t- tonight. Um, so I think that that you know that's going to be really really key. Um, it, look, there's just so yeah so many different permutations um, that that are flying around there. So you know I, I really do think that you know when we start to look down that fixture list, we've got some pretty tasty fixtures that come. Um, a lot later um, in, in the tournament as well. Um, but yeah, the, the next two or three days really, really huge. I'm going to be really keen to see how England back up. Um, if you look at it from a, a logistical perspective, they've flown in Bryden Kass. Um, I think he arrived yesterday. There's almost no chance that he plays a part in this tournament unless there's an injury. He, he's not got any miles in the legs. Um, you know, he's, he's here as a replacement, obviously, for Reese Topley. 
And for some inexplicable reason, we decided to, you know, bowl first in 45 degree heat. Um, let's see how the, you know, the, the bowlers back up. Um, but they've almost made a call that Chris Wokes is not selectable um, after his early season form. So when you kind of look at it like that, England are picking from 13 for, for this game against Sri Lanka, who could be, yeah, could, you know, could be pretty dangerous in, um, in these conditions. So yeah, really, really big, uh, really, really big couple of days, I think, in, in the context of this, um, of this tournament. Um, and yeah, look, I just hope um, that, you know, that England do manage, uh, yeah, do manage to win this, uh, this game tonight, because I, I really want to see that, um, that Australia New Zealand game on Saturday have plenty on it. Um, it would be, yeah, would be my, uh, my view over the course of the next three or four days. Baldy, anything else you want to add before I, I take us out? Yeah. Adam's Adam's hit the nail on the head. There's some there's some really really delicious fixtures coming up for a lot of these contender sides in that sort of three through five area. You have a look at well, you have a look at even South Africa's run home. They've got uh, Pakistan, New Zealand, India coming up in their next three matches. That will tell us a lot about their bona fides and their credentials in terms of a semi final contender. Uh, New Zealand have Australia, South Africa, Pakistan. So all of the contenders are going to play each other over the next couple of a couple of fixtures. I just wanted to pick up on uh, the the run here for Afghanistan over the next three games. They've got Sri Lanka, who I think they would fancy themselves to to really go at in this tournament. They've got the Netherlands, who yes upset South Africa, uh, but have been humbled by Australia and are now one and four in the tournament. I feel like Afghanistan have got some some winnable games coming up and, and they could be potentially going into uh, the game against Australia three wins for the tournament at that point you know if they if they split that series against Sri Lanka and the Netherlands you know one win one loss that's a really really positive tournament for Afghanistan going forward and they'll be nipping at the heels of the teams like Pakistan England if they get their tournament back on track so I think that the that of the four nations that Adam mentioned as not really being in contention for the semifinals. Afghanistan has emerged as potentially the best of those sides, notwithstanding the Netherlands' terrific victory over South Africa earlier on in the tournament. Yeah, I would agree. I think Afghanistan's not out of it. If they can win these next couple of games that they've got, then they've got basically going to have to beat... They would have to beat one of, I think, Australia or South Africa at the end, which is obviously going to be a, a tough ask, but... You know, they've, they've shown what they can do so far in this tournament. So, yeah, not out of it at all. But we will see how it all plays out in the next few days. A couple of massive uh, days ahead in the World Cup. I'm, I'm going to be away for the next four days from these top-order daily uh, shows. And, and I couldn't have really picked some worse days to be away. Yeah, mouth-watering encounters against sides that we all sort of expect are, are going to be in the semi-final mix. But... Baldy, Binksy and, and Raj will, will take you through all of those days and, and everything that's going on. Please do continue to keep liking and subscribing and commenting and, and all those good things. It, it really does make a big difference. I know I say that every single episode, but it, it is very much true. And apart from that, hope you've enjoyed today an emphatic Australian win and uh, enjoy the rest of your, your day or evening or whatever it is in, in whatever part of the world you're in. And, uh, and we'll see you all again tomorrow.